we're going to go ahead and look at a story in the Bible of a rather well-known character, and we're going to see how God has chosen him. And through this narrative arc, we're also going to see how he's chosen, forgiven, redeemed, and restored. If you guys have your Bible or your apps or however you access the Word of God, please go ahead and pull it out. We're going to be in Acts 9 today. Acts 9, 1 through 22. Now, you might be familiar with the story and know the story of Saul, but I'm going to highlight a couple things that I think are really important to each one of us. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole story and then start to highlight a little bit. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem for those who called upon this name? And has he not come for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He was God's chosen instrument to bring the good news to the Gentiles. God's chosen instrument. And yet, what do we see God's chosen instrument doing? He's breathing threats of murder and violence against the church. 
I don't know about you guys, but if I were to choose someone to do like a task for me, I would not want it to be someone who's trying to hurt and murder the people that follow me. And yet, Saul was his chosen instrument. I think so often we say, like, why would God want to choose me? Why would God choose a person like Saul? I think it's because God made us and knows how we function. He knows the best of you, and he knows how he's made you to function within his family. So even though we might be running away and distracted, he knows how he's going to use you for the kingdom, and he loves you deeply. Here we see in 9.3, he went on his way, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. See, in this moment, Saul didn't realize he was chosen yet until he had an encounter with Jesus. Go ahead and flip with me to Galatians, and we'll be in Galatians 1. Paul says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He who had set me apart before I was born. We see this again and again throughout the entire Bible of people saying, God made me in my mother's womb. He set me apart. Many of the prophets proclaim this, many of the disciples. God made us intentionally and chose us to be a part of his family. What we need to realize that we're chosen is an encounter with Jesus. Now, go ahead and raise your hand if you were, like, walking on the road one day and a bright light flashed around you and blinded you and you fell to the ground and Jesus was like, it's me, Jesus. Yeah, me neither. I didn't think so. For most of us, encountering Jesus doesn't come with blinding lights. It's soft whispers of him saying, hey, come to church. Come hear my word. Hey, I love you. I want what's best for you. And the more we press into relationship, the more we realize that Jesus sees value in us and that he desires us to be in his family. I think the next hard part that comes for us is saying, okay, God might want to choose me, but I'm too, I'm too sinful for God to want me. How could God want a person like me when I've done all of the things I have in my life? Go ahead and flip to 1 Timothy with me. We'll be in 1 Timothy 1. And Paul says, 1 Timothy 1, 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. 
to the king of ages, immortal and invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See here, Paul is saying, I was persecuting the church of Christ. I was murdering them and having them thrown in prison. And in that moment, God met me where I was at and showed me his grace and said, instead of persecuting you for persecuting my people, I want you to be part of my people. He says, I was the foremost sinner. I was the person who was standing against Christ the most. And in that moment, God said, I am forgiving you of all of that, and I want you on my team. I have chosen you, and I'm forgiving you. And Paul says that the purpose of him being saved was for us who believe that we might know that there is nothing that we can do that will separate us from the love that the Father has for us. The Psalms say that our sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. They're remembered no more. So if God can forgive Paul for murdering his people, for standing by and watching Stephen as he gets stoned and supporting it, and God can look at that and say, I love Saul. I have chosen Saul. I've prepared him. And I'm going to forgive him because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. There is nothing that we can do that will separate us from the love the Father has for us. You are forgiven. One of the beautiful images in this is in um, Acts 9, 17. Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What I think is so beautiful about this is Ananias is coming and saying, welcome to the family. He just had a conversation with God saying, God, he's tormenting your people. He's here to bring us bound in prison and thrown into Jerusalem before the chief priests. And you want me to go and welcome him into our family, into the people that you died for? And God's like, yep. So Ananias did it. He's physically representing saying, hey, you have been forgiven. And it wasn't just God who forgave him, but Ananias forgave him in that moment. He was willing to say, I don't care about your past because you have been claimed chosen and precious in God's eyes. And that's true for each one of us. You are chosen, you are cherished, you're beloved, and God wants you and desires you. And he made that possible by forgiving your sins. Now, to forgive our sins, we had to be redeemed from them. There had to be a price paid to redeem us from those sins. So as we move on to the next one, I am redeemed. Sometimes it's a little harder to think about than we'd like to admit because our sin is heavy. We don't like to admit that somebody had to die so that we might live. But that's exactly what Jesus did. One of the things I always struggled with was, does Jesus love me? I know Jesus loves everybody, but does Jesus love me? And one time I went to, we went to Arizona. My mom had friends out there that I had known growing up, kind of. They moved when I was four, so I didn't really know them. And they're like, come to our youth group with us tonight. 
It's like, well, I don't like meeting new people. Going to a new church is scary. Like, uh, okay, I'll go. I don't remember much of going there. I remembered somebody was talking. I remember seeing people, kind of meeting people, but mostly trying to sit in a chair in the corner and not interact with people. But that was a life-changing moment for me because their pastor said something that changed my life. He said, if you were the only person who ever sinned, you were the only one, Jesus still would have come and died on the cross for you. And that shattered my world because I had always thought, okay, Jesus loves everybody, one life for millions and billions of lives of people who believe in him. That's a worthy trade, right? Like one for many, that makes sense to my brain. If I was Jesus and could save billions of people, I would do it. But would Jesus die for me? And when I heard that, that if I was the only one, Jesus still would have endured the cross and the whippings and the crown of thorns and being spat on and ridiculed, that he would do that just for me? See, that's a truth that I don't think we grasp onto very often is I, I am chosen. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. And that's true for each one of you guys. I want you guys to go ahead and pause again and say those three to yourself. Say, I am chosen. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. See, the first time I started to say that, it felt really awkward because I was like, ah, I don't know if God would want to choose me. I don't know if I can really be forgiven. I don't know if God would really want to redeem my life. But as we look at the scriptures and we look at the life of Jesus, I think we start to realize just how true that actually is. One of the things I struggled with was understanding what Jesus actually had to go through to redeem us. See, Jesus took on the weight of our sin. He took on our sin. He became our sin so that we could become righteousness. All of the pain that you've ever experienced in your life is a result of sin. Every stubbed toe, every broken heart, every mental, spiritual, emotional, physical pain that you've ever felt is a result of sin. And praise God, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to fix all of that. And we don't have to feel it anymore. But all of that weight of our sin, Jesus took on all of that for you. Like, I can't imagine bearing the weight of just the pain that I felt in the last couple of years all at once, let alone my entire life let alone all of the pain of my life and my family's lives or my friends' lives or the entire world at one point trying to bear up under that weight. And yet Jesus looked at you with your name in his mind and said, they're worth it. He said, Micah is chosen. I have chosen him and I'm going to forgive him and I'm going to redeem him through going through this. And instead of bearing this weight and pain, he offers us joy and peace. He offers us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faith, self-control. He says, I'll take your pain 
and I'll give you the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you're anything like me, that sounds like a pretty good deal. I give you my pain, and I get peace and joy and fulfillment. It's like, all right, what do I have to do to get that? Because that's how we are. We're very exchange rate people. If I give you $5, you give me a Chick-fil-A sandwich, and I help send students to camp. Great. Love it. But that's not Jesus' offer for us. He says, I will take all of the pain and hardships of your life, and I will give you all of the good, fulfilling desires of your heart in me. And it's like, all right, how could I ever earn that? And he just says, you don't. I just want to give it to you. What you give me is relationship. That's Jesus's inheritance for what he went through for becoming a person and living this life and being born in the dirt and being spat on and crucified on a cross. What Jesus was promised for that was relationship. He's like, I am willing to go through this to be in relationship with you. And it's like, well, that sounds like another thing for me too. Like now I get to be in relationship with Jesus. And it's a free gift that he's offering us. If you go ahead and flip to Ephesians 1.7, Paul lays this out a little bit clearer. Again, that's Ephesians 1.7. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace. It's just through the richness of his grace that we have redemption. We have been redeemed and are no longer enslaved to that life of sin that we, that's been holding us back. Our last point is I am restored. I am chosen, forgiven, redeemed, and restored. Restoration is what our hearts long for. See, all of this pain and hurt that we've been feeling and is still here, like as Christians, that pain doesn't just necessarily go away. If someone said, if you love Jesus, everything will be better. It's not necessarily true in that sense. Is it better because we have hope in Jesus and know that he will make all things right one day? Yes. Is it better in that we will never feel hurt or pain anymore? No. But we're being made whole. See, God promises us life and life abundantly, life to the fullest. In Acts 9, it says, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. This physical imagery represents what was going on spiritually for him. He was regaining his sight. His sight was restored. See, God made us for a relationship with him. He made us to be experiencing joy and love and peace. And this restoration, being made a new creation in Jesus, makes that possible. There's a really fancy term that we like to call Christianese. Um, if you grew up in the church you understand that what this word is. But if you're outside of the church, it's like, what? Sanctification. Growing up, I heard the word sanctification all the time, and everyone talked about it like it was such a good thing. 
So I was like, yeah, sanctification, at least once I learned how to actually say it. It's kind of a hard word for the littles. But sometime in high school, I started to realize, like, if someone asked me, what is sanctification? I would say, I have no idea. I know the context is used, in, and it always sounds good, like things are getting better, but I don't know how to actually define sanctification. Sanctification simply is the Holy Spirit making us more like Jesus. So the longer we walk in relationship with Jesus, the more we behold him and look on him, the more we will be like him through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what it means to be renewed, to be restored, is we're being made how we were originally created to be. And this is going to be completed when Jesus comes back. But I want you guys to know is, Jesus is offering you this restoration right now. He's offering it to you. That pain and sin that you've been sitting in, he says, put that on me. Take my yoke and my burden. It's easy and light. I'll take on your sin and hardships, and you get to have the joy of being beloved by the Father. See, Jesus tells us that the Father loves us, as the Father loves Jesus. So we just get to sit and bask in being loved by the Father. And we're being made new and get to experience the fruit of the Spirit while Jesus says, I'll take on that hurt and pain for you. I think it's a lot like getting a scab, which doesn't sound fun because that means you fell and scraped your knee or whatever, and it takes time to heal. And maybe there's uh, some scars left over afterwards. So this process of being renewed is slow. It doesn't always happen instantly. But God offers us healing and restoration to be made new. And it's such a joyful thing. So as you guys go throughout your weeks, I want you guys to pause and remember and just speak this truth over yourself. Say, I am chosen. God made me intentionally and purposefully. I have a reason to be here and God wants me in his family. He has chosen me. I'm forgiven because even though I wanted to follow Jesus well, I've still sinned and messed up. But God doesn't hold that sin against you so you shouldn't either. Say, I am forgiven. That's the truth that God tells us. And you're forgiven through his redemption. He has redeemed you. Jesus paid the price for you that you could never pay so that your relationship with God could be restored. But God doesn't just stop there. He wants what's best for us, so he's renewing us. He's restoring us. Through his Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we're being made new creations who get to experience the fullness fullness of life that God offers. I am chosen, I am forgiven, I am redeemed, and I am restored. If you have never experienced what this means, we're gonna have some people up here during our time of prayer. And I encourage you just to come up and ask them for prayer. And like Saul, what Saul needed was an encounter with the Son. He needed intimate interaction with Jesus. 
And if you've never had that interaction, I just ask you guys to say, Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me today? If what Micah said is true at all, Jesus, would you show yourself to me? If you've chosen me, would you reveal yourself so I can know that you're real, that you're here? And then for those of you who are Christians and are following and walking with Christ, these are truths that we get to rejoice in. Death, where is your sting? There is no power over you anymore. You are free in Jesus. And we get to experience that. And so when we move into communion and worship, I just want you guys to reflect on the work that Jesus did on the cross so that we could have restored relationship with him.